All right. Last Sunday evening, actually I try not to start a sermon series in the evening, but we'll have some review this morning. But last Sunday evening, we began a three-part sermon series on fasting. Fasting, and if you would um, like copies of that CD, I'd be more than happy to, to get those for you. One of the things that intrigues me about fasting is that I always thought it was just for the Jews. I didn't think it had too much to do with us. I don't think I'd ever preached a sermon on it. And in last Sunday morning's Bible class, I asked how many had actually ever heard a sermon on it, and not many had. And so, looking for some help, where it's been a rather busy weekend with a marriage retreat and all, uh, Brother Rowell sent me his notes and a PowerPoint. And so, this morning, we're going to continue with number two. Last Sunday morning we talked about fa last Sunday evening we talked about fasting in the Old Testament and today we're going to talk about fasting in the New Testament and then tonight fasting for Christians today. Brother Rowell just a few of his notes because he like me had never taught on it before. He said this particular subject is one that I have until now done little study on it. Yet in the New Testament Fasting is taught more than repentance and confession. Jesus taught on fasting more than baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I share that with you again this morning. For those of you that were here last Sunday night, uh, there's a few more folks that were not here. And so I really want that line to sink in. We teach about those other things, but we seldom teach on fasting. Brother Rowell continues, not only is the subject of fasting emotional and volatile at times, but it is also not traditionally taught. As I mentioned, I'm not sure I've ever preached a good complete study on the subject, and neither have most preachers, yet when we look at the scriptures, it is full of teaching and people that fasted. And he listed some of these individuals. I've added one to his list, but stop and think about it. Moses, David... Elijah, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Jesus, and Paul, as well as the fact that there are accounts in both the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament of groups of God's people fasting as well. This morning, we will continue the series of lessons. Last week... We did look at fasting in the Old Testament. So this morning, we're going to look at fasting in the New Testament. As we learned last week, by way of a real quick review, fasting in the Old Testament was only commanded once, and that was in the Mosaic Law under the Day of Atonement. But we learned last Sunday night that fasting was done by a lot more people in a lot of different situations. We learned last week in the Old Testament, they fasted when they were faced with danger. They fasted in times of war and when they were preparing for war. They fasted in times of deep personal sorrow, such as when loved ones were sick or dying. They fasted in seeking God's forgiveness and they fasted when seeking God's will. Last Sunday in the Old Testament, last Sunday night, we learned that fasting's nature and purpose was to humble oneself. It's not about the physical, it's not about losing weight. The fact that we go without food for a bit to focus on spiritual things is the whole key point of fasting. To humble oneself by afflicting their soul, not their body, so that one could be heard by God in their prayers. And as I said, having learned all that this morning, we turn our attention to fasting 
in the New Testament. There's three key breakdowns or areas that we're going to be examining this morning. Number one, for those taking notes, we're going to be talking about fasting in the life of Jesus. Jesus fasted. We're going to be talking about fasting in the Lord's church. We pattern ourselves after the first century church, and we say they are that church, and that church fasted. We're also going to be talking about fasting in the ministry of Paul. These three are vital areas in understanding and developing a picture to answer the question that we're going to ask in tonight's sermon, should Christians fast today? So this kind of builds the foundation for that. Fasting in the life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, as we know, Jesus was led away by the Holy Spirit to be tempted in the wilderness. While Jesus was there facing some horrendous temptations, Satan just tempting him throughout that full 40 days and nights, as Luke's gospel tells us, Jesus apparently thought that it was appropriate to fast. Matthew 4, 1 and 2, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That was the purpose. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. As I said in Luke's Gospel, it tells us that he was tempted throughout that full 40 days and nights. And so, the reason that Jesus went up there was to be tempted, but Jesus didn't go without food simply because he couldn't find any. Jesus went without food on purpose. He fasted. And remember again, that Jesus, for that 40 days and nights, according to Luke 4, 1 and 2, was relentlessly, this is key, he was relentlessly tempted by the devil during that time. Satan was trying everything he could to tempt Jesus, to get him to sin, to get him to fall. He was relentless. And during the same 40 days that he was relentlessly tempted, he relentlessly fasted. Now, Here's my question I just want us to consider. If Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, God in the flesh, found strength in fasting when he was under heavy assault and temptation by the devil, how much more do you think we might need to take advantage of that same strengthening? Think about it. Think about all the things that Jesus could do. Think about all the miracles he worked. Think about all the power that he had. And yet, when facing times of just relentless temptation, he sought strength and found strength in fasting. Not only do we see Jesus fasting, but we also see his teaching on it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18 and when you fast. Notice Jesus didn't say if. Jesus did not say if you fast. He said when you fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When we look at that, we get the understanding that fasting is a personal thing. It's personal between us and God. Nobody else should know. You know how the Bible says that when we give, it ought to be just between us and God? 
When we fast, it ought to be just between us and God. It is a deeply personal thing. He continues in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, But when you fast, notice again, not if, but when, second time he's used the word, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When we consider that Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast, there is zero indication, zero indication that Jesus did not expect his disciples to fast. When you, to fast. When you read this, it's a given. There's no indication that, well, it's a, it's a you know, thing that maybe you will, maybe you won't. He said, no, when? We'd also notice where this teaching occurs. Jesus, in Matthew 6, 16, 18, in the context there, Jesus compares fasting to prayer. In Matthew 6, 5 through 15, and to giving of alms, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. It's all in that same context. It's all in that same... Can you see? Okay. It's all in that same context. It's all in that same section. He begins by talking about prayer in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Then he moves on to, I'm sorry, giving of alms in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Then he continues on about prayer in Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And then the very next subject he takes on in that context is fasting. Are we to give alms today? Are we to give? Yes. Are we to pray? Yes. This is the very next thing that he talks about, fasting. Think about that. In other words, God finds pleasure in one fasting if one does it the right way, just like he finds pleasure in those who pray the right way and give alms the right way. It's all in that same chapter 6. But Jesus also points out that there is a time to fast, and there's a time not to fast. Mark 2, verses 18 through 20. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came to him and said, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Jesus goes so far as to say that it is inappropriate to fast if the occasion does not truly call for it. Fasting would definitely have a place in the lives of his disciples, but only when done properly and only when warranted. Now, let us move to number two in our discussion. Fasting in the Lord's church. Again, we want to be that church we see in the scriptures. We want to be that one church that obeys that one Lord. We want to follow that one faith and that one baptism of Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. We want to pattern ourselves totally after the first century church. We want to be that church in our day. Please notice Jesus' teaching on fasting in the church. First, we'll move to fasting in the congregation at Antioch. Now notice this was after the New Covenant came into effect, obviously after the church was established in Acts 2, years later. 
Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Yes, I understand this was in the age of miraculous, miraculous gifts. I understand that. But please notice that even then, with all of that, they're still fasting and praying. What is interesting here is that the whole congregation fasted and prayed. Not just one individual, two individuals, but the congregation itself. Keep in mind that this is before the elders were appointed in every church in Acts chapter 14 verse 23. What do we learn from this? We learn that fasting was something the first century church did in preparation for ministry. And that fasting can be done as a congregation and not just individually. Now, turn our attention to the first century congregations of the Church of Christ in the Galatian region. And what do we read? Acts chapter 14, 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Brother Rowell, in his sermon series, was quick to point out here the following. As Paul and Barnabas went throughout the region of Galatia, they appointed elders in every church. This was done only after prayer and fasting, however. The key thing to notice here is that prayer and fasting was done in every church where they appointed elders. This wasn't a one-time for one congregation situation. This was done in every church. Have you noticed? How some of these big decisions, Jesus, in the midst of that temptation, and these congregations before these big decisions, whether, it regard, whether it's in regards to ministry or an eldership, should the church today have elders? But notice what a big decision that is. Notice across our country today how many congregations of the Lord's church don't have elders. That's a huge decision. It's, it's a huge, there's, there's, there's etern, an eternal dynamic involved, many dynamics involved with that decision. And so in this huge decision, what do they do? They appoint elders in every church, but please notice it's not just prayer. It's with prayer and fasting. Brother Rowell went on to say, also notice that this was, was not just in Jewish converted areas. This was also in Gentile converted areas. This wasn't just a Jewish custom in other words. There was more to it than that. Finally, having looked at fasting in the life of Jesus and fasting in the Lord's church, let's go ahead and look at fasting in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. 
We've already seen several texts where the Apostle Paul fasted with several congregations, it would appear. And now there's something I want for us to notice, and I'd never seen this prior to this study, or, or really had it sink in. The Apostle Paul considered fasting to be a mark of his ministry. Think about that. He considered fasting to be a mark of his ministry. If I had asked you prior to this lesson or this series of lessons, can you give me a mark of the Apostle Paul's ministry? What would you have said? Some of you may have said, well, one mark of his ministry was that he wrote many epistles. One mark of his ministry was that he had the miraculous gifts. One mark of his ministry was that he established many congregations. And while those would all be true, Paul himself considered that it was a mark of his ministry. We see that here in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. These are marks of his ministry. In much patience, in tribulations. Paul's ministry was marked by tribulation. Is that not correct? That is correct. In needs. We know that he writes in Philippians chapter 4 about those needs. In distresses. In stripes. In imprisonments, these marked his ministry. In tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. You know, as I look at that list, I realize that some of those things are things that other people caused to happen to the Apostle Paul. They chased him, they were relentless in, in hunting him, and, and we know that when we go through the book of Acts. We know that, you know, Paul didn't say, hey, imprison me. You know, somebody else, that was kind of in their hands to imprison him. But as I look at that, I also notice that whether or not Paul had patience was up to him. And whether or not Paul fasted was up to him, and he apparently did, and he considered it again to be a mark of his ministry. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 27, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. In weariness and toil. In sleeplessness, often. In hunger and thirst, in fastings often. See that? Paul often fasted. When he was going through all of these other things, and we've talked about from the Old Testament, how they fasted in times of trial, and when people were sick, and when they were going through these terrible temptations, and all of those sorts of things. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in amidst all of these struggles and deaths and weariness and toil, he knew he needed help from God, and he fasted as well in cold and nakedness. In both of these texts, 2 Corinthians 6, 4, and 5, which we just read, as well as 2 Corinthians 11, 23, and 27, the Apostle Paul, in both of those contexts, is defending his ministry as authentic. 
He is simply pointing out his service to Christ can be verified by his actions. That's what he's trying to tell you. His service to Christ can be verified by his actions. Now, interestingly enough, he points to one of those as fastings as a means of proving his authentic and sincere service to the Savior. He said, this is, this is authentic, this is sincere, this is a mark that shows that I am serving God. Now, Landon makes it a point here, and it's a good point to point out the following. In verse 27, in the King James Version, the American Standard Version, and the New King James Version, we find... In hunger and thirst, in fastings often. That is that verse we just read. Hunger and thirst, in fastings often. We're going to focus in on the latter part or the middle part of verse 27. That's what the King James, New King James, and American Standard Version read. Okay? However, in some other newer translations... We read something a little bit different in 1 Corinthians 11.27. And please turn there in your own Bible. 2 Corinthians 11.27, in newer versions, we read something like this. In hunger and thirst, often without food. Do you see the difference? There's a difference between fasting, because you're doing spiritual service to God, and simply not having food around. The problem with this particular translation here, is that those who follow its thought, it's not logical. Think about this. <laughs> it's kind of redundant, isn't it, to say, I'm in hunger and thirst, and the reason is because I don't have food. Well, duh. Of course that's the reason you're hungry, is you don't have food. You see how it's repetitive and redundant? Paul would not be saying, I'm hungry, and the reason why is I don't have food. We'd kind of figure that out if somebody says they're hungry, that they don't have food. That's kind of a done deal. Okay? It is far more apparent that the King James, the New King James, and the American Standard Version have the proper translation in showing that Paul was commenting on an additional mark of his ministry, which is fasting. Please notice again the New King James Version. So make a note in your Bible that this is dealing with two different authentications of Paul's service to Christ. In the overall context, he's giving you the marks of his ministry. It becomes really obvious, or it should, that when we look into the topic of fasting in the scriptures, that both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament have a lot to say concerning it. And it wasn't just a Jewish custom. It wasn't just something in the Old Testament. It wasn't just something pre-New Covenant in the life of Jesus. But we see the churches, even in Gentile regions, practicing fasting on a pretty regular basis. Many of the great heroes of the faith... Men and women of both Testament, groups of God's people in both Testaments, fast and often, and for various and very appropriate reasons. As we noted last week, they fasted in times of intense need of God's help and just humbled themselves before God. And again, the idea of fasting is to put away everything else. 
Today, maybe we need an electronic fast. <laughs> maybe we need to just, for several hours, shut off our cell phones and our tablets and our TVs and our computers and any other electronic gizmo gadget that we've got. As well as food. And show God that the most important thing to us on the planet... Are the spiritual is the spiritual focus on getting closer to him and getting his divine help because we are undergoing a terrible situation and we need his help. Take these things that we have studied for the last two lessons, both last Sunday night and this morning. Pour over them. Look at them again. And tonight we will address the question, should I as a New Testament child of the living God be fasting Today, what does all of this have to do with me? This morning, if you're not a child of God, if you're not a member of His church, the Bible is very clear about what we have to do to become New Testament children of the living God. The Bible is very clear about the fact that we must hear the Word of God, we must believe it, we must be willing to believe it to the point we're willing to obey it. And that obedience comes in several forms. It comes in the form of us repenting of our sins, turning to God, turning our life around, turning our thoughts towards God, turning the direction we were going and go towards God. That is repentance. That is obedience. We also must obey Him by being baptized, fully immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Not because there's anything in the water that's special, because there isn't. But it is the pledge of a good conscience towards God. That pledge of a good conscience is when we are baptized into Christ, we're doing what God told us to do. And then we must live a faithful life. If you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel, you have not studied God's word, you need to do that maybe. Maybe you need prayers to help you repent. Maybe you need help with confession and to know what that's all about. Or obeying the gospel again by being baptized. We need to then live a faithful life. This is God's plan of salvation. If you're lacking in any of these areas and you need help either understanding them or you want to be baptized this morning, if you have any of those needs, will you please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.